0: For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So let's get started. Enjoy the show. Hey, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. And uh, today I'm talking to Laura Purdy, who um, is sitting resplendent in front of me from, from imagining, I'm imagining. Given her profile as something about being America's MD. I'm imagining, I'm, I mean, are you from America?
1: I am from America, yes.
0: So tell me where in the world you are.
1: So I am from and I am currently sitting in Nashville, Tennessee, oh. Music City.
0: Wow. Do I need to sing you some um, old green, blue grass or whatever it is, or twang my guitar oh, yes. to make you feel at home?
1: Please do. I, I would love to hear that. Just take it away.
0: Right. (laughs) That's what you call calling someone's bluff. Normally, people run shrieking to the hills when I offer any sort of musical interlude. (laughs) Well, it's a delight to talk to you today. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Laura.
1: Oh, goodness. Well, where to start? So I guess I could lead with, you know, America's doctor. Why? Why? Why do I say that? But um, so I my name is Laura Purdy. I am from uh, I'm actually technically from southern Kentucky and grew up in kentucky and indiana here in the u.s and then i joined the united states army i was in the military for 15 years and did my medical school and residency in my first seven years of practice there in the u.s army and then after that i left the military and started doing quite a bit of telehealth actually so i'm very excited and heavily involved in telemedicine or digital medicine, as we say a little bit more now, I'm licensed in all 50 states, which is pretty rare, actually. Yeah. It's not commonly seen uh, here in the US. And so I have patients and have worked with small businesses, entrepreneurs, and companies all across the country. I have connections um, from east to west, north to south. And so that is where America's doctor comes from, because I I have and can treat people all across the country. Um, I have four kids that are all under the age of nine so it's very busy very busy household and so I also get it from a working mom perspective um, and so I like to provide a lot of support to to women and people in that situation as well and and uh, that brings me to here I am talking to you today.
0: And do you, aren't you, are you an entrepreneur as well you talked about uh, contact being with entrepreneurs is that is that a thing you're into as well? Yeah.
1: Yes, so I have been involved in the creation of several uh, companies. I have two clinics, two small businesses here in the Nashville area that I own and run. And I also have been heavily involved in the telehealth startup realm um, as a a co-founder and also just as a senior advisor and executive to companies that are wanting to get off the ground in the digital health arena.
0: Right. Interesting. So let's unpack let's sort of a few of those things, if you don't mind. Where, where Can I ask whereabouts you were serving in your uh, army
1: Certainly. stint? Certainly. Where was I? So I started off in Washington, D.C. So I went to school and worked. If you've ever heard of Walter Reed, there was a there's an old military hospital, which isn't there anymore. It's been reconsolidated. Um, but I spent some time working there in the D.C. region. Then I went to Fort Benning, which is in... Um, southern south central Georgia and then I went to Fort Bragg which is in um, central North Carolina and then ended up in really close 30 minutes from my hometown Fort Campbell Kentucky which is what led me back to my roots in Nashville and um, in those years also spent time in Hawaii Seattle Texas Virginia um, all over the place working um, so many different places and it was a blast
0: yeah, and so I'm guessing if you're with the military, you're dealing with an awful lot of, I there will be women obviously, but with an awful lot of men. Um, but um, I mean, what what are the te- most common ailments you're dealing with?
1: Oh yeah. So you're right. So, so in the, in the army, you have a couple of ways that you can practice as a physician. There are clinics where you're actually handling spouses and children, and you don't do a lot of soldier care at all and retirees veterans. So I did a little bit of that and it was exactly like what you would think in the general population. Yeah. I did spend uh, a couple of years working as a unit physician. And then I also worked a hospitalist job. So I was doing inpatient as opposed to outpatient. And that was almost exclusively soldiers or retirees. And so a lot of what we would see uh, musculoskeletal injuries or by and large vastly the, the largest um, thing, whether that be back injuries, leg injuries, um, something called rhabdomyolysis in the hospital, which is basically where you work out too much and, and, and hurt yourself um, or heat injuries was a big thing as well. And then after that, it was mental health, behavioral health. There's a tremendous amount of that, along with head injuries. You know, we would see a lot of the like blast injuries, still seeing war injuries. But behavioral health was definitely second um, behind the, the musculoskeletal.
0: Yes. I was going to ask you about the rise in mental health. So I was I was intrigued that you actually said it yourself. Um, so so what. So obviously, the, the, there's, there's the PTSD and the trauma stuff. Is, is there another type of mental health that you were frequently dealing with?
1: I think the, the most common thing that we would see would be uh, adjustment disorder and basic depression and anxiety. People in the military, which actually really ties into the name of your podcast, right? Resiliency. Mm. Resiliency constantly being moved around relocated separated from family separated from friends having new jobs every two to three years with high expectations of performance Uh, the physical challenges of having to wake up early stay up late go in on weekends working holidays the uncertainty of taking time off i mean the military is a very stressful lifestyle and and just at a baseline even if you don't factor in deployments and war and combat which not everybody experiences especially now um when we are not in the same state of war that we were 20 years ago uh, even just at a baseline the military lifestyle is very demanding and so adjustment disorders depression and anxiety are are um are much more prevalent than
0: so um that's interesting so uh, there's a theme in business for example you talk a lot about the change mindset which is linking resilience and change together and um and often people point to the army and say, actually, people are much more capable of dealing with adjustment because their la- level of ambiguity, the level of constant changes is more natural and o- or more frequent. Uh, but it sounds like the way you were saying it is that actually that creates its own set of problems. Um, I just wonder if constant frequent movement actually creates higher adjustment disorder or actually uh, helps with um, your ability to deal with change.
1: I think it depends on the person, right? So working in healthcare and my last job that I held there was the, um, like the chief medical officer of the warrior transition battalion. So it was for soldiers who were no longer, uh, physically fit, whether that's physical or mentally fit to serve. And so it was, and I think over 50% of that population had some behavioral health condition, whether that was the reason for their discharge or just comorbid with whatever else. And so, so I spent more time with the people who were having trouble adjusting to the lifestyle. There is a whole force out there of people who are exceeding and succeeding and doing well with that high op- operational tempo is what we say, like a high op tempo. And there's a whole subset of people out there who love that. But I spent a lot of time working with the people who did have trouble adjusting and maybe it just it wasn't a good fit for
0: the lifestyle and, and you know what i'm going to say don't you is, can you put your finger on the thing that makes the difference and is it as simple as resiliency. mindset? <laughs> oh no not resiliency but but mindset is that uh, well resiliency is part of it um is it as simple as that is it as simple as um
1: the,
0: i'm hoping you're going to say yes because i mean otherwise i'm going to just throw myself off through out the window
1: I, yes. I mean, so it, so in the army, they actually do have resiliency training. Yes. And if I remember correctly, I think it was monthly and you had to go to eight or nine of the trainings over the course of a year. And so they, and they would hold, they would hold them quarterly. And so you'd go and you'd get three of the trainings. I think there were 12 trainings a year and it was really one of those, you get out, of, get out of it, what you put into it sort of yeah. thing. And I, I feel like the way that it was mandated, the reason that it was mandated was good, but the way that it was mandated made it obnoxious and it wasn't something that people wanted to do and it wasn't as fun and enjoyable as it could have been. Yeah. And so, um, but but I think that all of the, if If you think of resiliency of like as like a wheel, right? and the, all the spokes or a web, right? All the spokes that are the components of the larger idea of resiliency, the features and characteristics and the skill sets that fall under the umbrella of resiliency, that is the difference between somebody who can have a positive outlook and flex and adapt to the changes of the lifestyle and someone who can't.
0: Yeah. And do you think the um, the community, the family network around that person, because if you've got someone with low resilience to whom you're mar- married or engaged or it becomes a significant a relationship, um, that can be a, ma- a massive drain on a person, can't it?
1: A drain or, I mean, it can be an asset or it can be a liability. Yeah. Right. And I think the support system and also how the support system is supported, because the support system also needs to be supported so that they can provide the proper support for the person who's being put in the challenging situations. And I think that how the um, the quality of the support system seems to greatly impact the, the outcomes and the trajectory of the person being put in the stressful situation.
0: Really, that's interesting. And so looking at that now and the businesses that you work in or you've worked around, do you see a correlation in the the general world of business with what you saw in the army?
1: Yes, more so than what I thought I would. Um, Every single day I come across circumstances where I find myself reflecting back to either people that I knew or positions that I had or decisions that I needed to make. Or life lessons or the values um, in the military, I find myself reflecting back to that quite frequently. And I would say that the military experience, m- my experience, because everyone's experience is different. Yeah. The experience, the set of experiences that I got to have has tremendously positively impacted um, everything that I do occupationally. Yeah.
0: So you came out, obviously, after the period of time where you came out. Was that planned or did you come up earlier or later? Or was that your tour or how did that work?
1: So I had a total of 14 years. And again, my decisions, you know, is is based off of my unique set of experiences. So I, I went to medical school, which was four years. And then I went to residency, which was for three years. And I knew pretty quickly that I would not be staying in until the end of my contract. Because the, the military uh, decided that the best circumstance for me and my husband, as we got married, was for us to be stationed apart for three years, and I had a I had a baby during that time. So I was a single parent for nine months, and a single pregnant, you know, geographically single, yeah. mother, geographically single doctor in training uh, with preeclampsia. If you know anything about that, I do um, for nine months. So that's a year and a half, right. Of the first three years of our marriage, uh, with a hugely discrepant, right. Cause it was a different experience for my husband than sure. it was for me. So we even had different experiences in the same family in the military. And when the army decided that the best thing for us was for us to be separated for the first three years of our marriage geographically. And they did have the option. The option was there to put us together. Then I decided immediately that the best thing for the army would also be for me to get out as soon as my contract, uh, was ended and there was nothing they could have done to change my mind after that, that, that was, that was the deal breaker for me, even though it took, uh, you know, eight years (laughs) to get to the end of that contract, the decision was made.
0: And that's some. That is a form of stamina to grit your teeth and just say, "I'm getting out." Uh, and it's that thing about having that goal in your head, isn't it? That that, that meaning that I'm leaving. But the thing is, doctors are slightly more um, calibrated to um, carry out their tasks than maybe some aspects of people of in the, in the you're not going to deliberately go out and do a bad operation or you know deliberately um misdescribe because you're you're fed up and you're leaving so that's quite a safe bet for Pete for doctors to finish that but that's quite impressive that you've made the decision it takes you eight years to get out that is that's grit
1: it was hard you know and I, and I don't I, I won't I won't lie to you and tell you that I did a great job that I was the most professional person the entire time it definitely took me a few years to arrive at the point where I wasn't bitter or angry or or passive aggressive. And I had to get to the point where I could make some mature decisions that I was going to make the best of it. And that I was going to choose to get as much out of it as I could. Um, And I definitely had a 2,500 day countdown on my phone (laughs) that I was counting down every single day. But uh, we did it, we did. I, I never thought it was going to end, but we we did it. But,
0: but you've used the number one strategy that resilient people use, which is making a conscious choice about something. Yes. So, you know, that's it. So you come out, um, you throw the uniform away, You and no doubt you go and get something, something garish down in the shop, so you can wear something that's not green or whatever it is. Um, and then how do you make a decision because often a lot of people that come out of uh an occupation like the military or you know or have achieved something like an um, olympian or something like that they often they often have this thing about well what do i do next where where do i want my life to go how did you make those sorts of decisions
1: well i think for me i started with the in-state and then a backwards plan i said i don't want to be pulling hospital shifts all the time anymore i don't want to go to an urgent care and I don't want to work for an institution ever again, if I can avoid it, Um, whether that be a large health system or an insurance plan, because I might as well just stay in the army if I want to be institutionalized. And, um, and that was just not for me. And so, so I started with that and then worked backwards. And that was how I arrived at telemedicine digital health entrepreneurship, because those were all the things that I felt would be components of a lifestyle and a career that I could create that would keep me out of all of those yeah. end goals, right? So um, so
0: what you're saying there yeah. is really important so people don't understand this, that there's a there's a big theory around goal setting that you have to know what you want, but it's equally legitimate and sometimes more powerful to know what you don't want. It's It's a real motivator, isn't it, to guide decisions by knowing exactly where you do not want to be. And people don't understand that from time to time, do they? It it creates all sorts of problems between goal-oriented and non-goal-oriented people.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. yes, yeah.
0: And it's that thing about, why, You know, if you're running a business, there's a difference between we want to go and achieve this versus I don't want to be bust. And uh, it creates a, an interesting paradigm of working when you're with people like that. So, so you, just, so how, what sort of a leap is it to become an entrepreneur having been in the army?
1: Well, okay. To be fair, so to be fair, I. I think that I am really a a businesswoman disguised as a doctor and that I was a businesswoman disguised as as a soldier because my father, my dad, was was a business guy. And so if I think back to being in high school, right, he got his MBA when I was in my late teens. And so we would talk about at the dinner, like, what are you learning? What are you doing? What kind of projects are you working on? And it would be like, how many people did you fire today? Why did you, why did you fire them? Cheerful. You know, what, yeah. Right. Great. Great dinner conversation.
0: No, nothing about sales and revenue. It's all about how many people don't we want.
1: Management. It was all about management. And we were talking about like, well, and that's where I learned lessons from him that I still can hear in my in my mind where he would say, if you don't want to be you know, replaced, don't be replaceable. And if you want to have a job, you need to do your job. And um, and, and so it was all about like people in management and we would learn about um, like QA, like margin, Lean Six Sigma, cutting costs and being lean. And, and I just found all of that really fascinating. And I liked that he was liking it and I would go to work with him and shadow him at work. And, um, but he actually said, you don't want to go into business you want to go into healthcare because that was in 2008 and 2000 you know 2006 yeah. seven, 8. and you remember yeah. what well, was happening in yeah. 2008 and i watched him do things like take no paycheck so everyone else could get paid sacrifice okay. his bonus and put it into the other people and um try to go in with the other ceos and buy out the company so that they didn't get acquired which they did do and then he died in 2008 it was horrible timing oh, But I got to see all of that. And I just found it really fascinating. And I also um, was intrigued by it, but he said, don't go into business, go into healthcare. So I did, but then have always tried to weasel my way out of delivery of healthcare into administration of healthcare, (laughs) into the business of healthcare, because that's what I really love. So, um, but to circle back to your question, which is how, you know, the military. Actually, the way that it works in the army is you have complex problems to solve with fixed or few resources and a short timeframe in which to do it. Yeah. And that is entrepreneur. I mean, that's exactly yeah. what that is. Innovation, creativity, rolling up your sleeves, self-sacrifice, dedication. This is all the values of entrepreneurship. So I think it's directly correlated.
0: Yeah, interesting. And so, obviously you worked in, I, I was very amused when you said telehealth and then digital health, because that, that is the sort of progression and such like. And where do you see the future for healthcare going? Um, and do you see a greater reliance on AI and VR and AR and such like? Is that, is that the future?
1: Oh, yeah. I, the future is exciting, because I think I can, I can see a vision of the future. And I think we will see healthcare um, follow how the banking industry has evolved where we, we think about, and we do almost everything remotely. And it's rare that we have to go into the bank and it's kind of an inconvenience. We don't even have to withdraw, you know, we don't even have to deposit checks at the bank anymore. And we can send wires digitally. We can do all kinds of things digitally that we didn't used to have to. And I think we're going to see healthcare following that trend as technology is developed as adoption increases, not only with people, but also with, with clinicians of all kinds, I think we were, we, we will get to a point where the first thing we think about in getting care is how do we do it digitally? And the last thing that we think about, unless it's an emergency, a surgery, a childbirth, something that clearly is in-person care. I think the last thing that we will think about is going in for something yeah. mild and unobtrusive.
0: But it is interesting you say that because actually there's quite a lot of surgery done online now, isn't there? Uh, in remote places and such like. So it's there's it's quite an interesting concept to think that almost one well one of the oldest professions, but healthcare is one of the one of them, isn't it? Which is you know started with hands on you know the laying of hands as it were is going to be the thing that's that's removed from that sort of visceral processes. Are you excited by it? I can see that. Is that because of the, the revenue gains and the cost reduction and the lean strategies? Or do you think we we'll actually get better healthcare from that?
1: Well, I would say that what excites me most about it is the fact that it's it's progress and it's the future and it's a movement. And I think we're going to be able to do things like disempower institutions and we're going to be able to disempower the health insurance companies, and we're going to be able to get access to care in ways that people have never been able to get it before. It will come with cost reductions. It will come with increased efficiencies and eventually, and in some ways now it does too, it will come with better care. All of that is going to happen. Um, But what's really exciting to me about it is the progress, the change, the innovation, um, the way that we're going to see a complete um, transformation of the entire way that we do healthcare. And I'm excited for everyone to get to share in that experience because it's going to be wonderful.
0: It, it's it's interesting hearing you talk because I can see the benefits of patients. But then I also think of the other side of it, because actually as a you know a practitioner myself, and not medical, but in the mental health world, the idea of just literally being on eight minute Zoom calls, seeing people, having a look, looking down their throats, doing what you can. I can see it become a complete conveyor belt. And Maybe. You, yeah, I can see actually working conditions for doctors declining rapidly and actually almost becoming slightly commoditized and lower paid.
1: Maybe, but but what we're seeing in a lot of places in brick and mortar now is that that is becoming a complete conveyor belt as well. Yes, I, well, that,
0: but, what, but surely your lean training would tell you that's, that's what it's for and therefore which digital, the technology makes it more of a conveyor belt.
1: Sort of, sort of. But the the one thing that is the flexibility that we have is that there are different startups all across the country who have different ways of making capital, you know, raising capital, different ways of capitalizing their company. And there are clients, there are patients or clients for every payment model. So there are people out there who want to pay higher costs for more time with their doctor. They can have that. There are yeah. people who want to pay lower costs for less time with the doctor and it's more transactional. There's models for that. There are insurance-based models, and the insurance companies will require you to have a 30-minute video visit, which is great if that's what you're if that's what you're gonna do, you know. So so I think what it's gonna do is diversify. the the workflow of these visits so there will be something for everybody there will be fast and cheap there will be long and expensive there will be conveyor belt type medicine um but i think that that will be appropriate for the people and the practitioners who want conveyor belt medicine and there will be other options for people who that's not the best for them
0: you can see a great world of preventative medicine as well because actually things like better digital screening of and you know checkups and such like you can see that being um better handled i mean some things you have physically have to press things against plates i suppose but you know there, there's a lot of stuff that you can do in the preventative world uh, fascinating absolutely fascinating i had no idea the conversation was going to go this way but um you're obviously very excited about the future and um i thank you for your time it's been absolutely fantastic if people want to find out more about your work and what you are and who you are and what you do how would they do that
1: Certainly. Well, my website is in development. I'm expecting that to be in the next 60 to 90 days, but it will be Dr. And I'm also on LinkedIn. So right now that's my biggest presence is on LinkedIn. Laura Purdy MD MBA is the best way to find me on LinkedIn. Um, I love, I love messaging people, although sometimes it takes me a minute to get back around to them, but I I love to meet people. And of course, never be afraid to reach out. And uh, I would love to speak with anybody who wants to connect on any of these types of issues.
0: Brilliant. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today. really enjoyed it.
1: Thank you. Have a great day.
0: And you, you take care. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed. And if you're in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcasts for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.